not that strong at all. Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to the Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 17. This is our prayer series, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. I am loving this series. I think I'm getting more out of this series than you are, okay? Probably because I'm teaching it, but man, this is a great series. Today we're talking about conversing with God. We learned last week that prayer is an instinct, a gift, a conversation, an encounter with God, a foretaste of heaven on earth. I'm convinced of that a foretaste of heaven on earth. Prayer is a continuation of a conversation God started. We talked about that as it relates to instinct and gift. God initiates this conversation through creation and then by making us alive through his spirit, by his grace, and then we enter into this conversation that becomes an encounter with God. And so he started it, and since prayer is our reply to God, we need to explore how he first speaks and... uh, how we can learn to answer him. And I know some of you might be thinking, if you were brought by a friend, you're thinking, okay, these people here, they claim that they talk to God and God talks to them. That seems a little weird. You know, there's medication for people that are hearing voices. And this is what you need to know. Yes, he does. He, we can converse with him. We can have conversation with God. That sounds crazy, but even as Jesus said to the Pharisees in the 13th chapter, 13th verse of Matthew, hearing, they don't hear, seeing, they don't see. What was he saying? They have ears, they have eyes physically, but they don't have ears and eyes spiritually. You have to have ears and eyes spiritually to understand this. And my prayer for you is that your ears and eyes would be open so that you could see this is amazing. When you begin to have this relationship with God, it's, it's revolutionary. It will change everything about your life. That's what we're talking about this morning. So before we dive into this text and unpack these notes, would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment once again and go before the throne of grace. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. It never ceases to amaze us. It never ceases to amaze me that we can have a deep, satisfying relationship with you through the Spirit of God, working through the Word of God on the basis of the finished work of the Son of God, that we can have a foretaste of heaven on earth through our conversation and encounter with you is life's greatest treasure and pleasure. Teach us how, how we can experience your presence, power, and peace as we, as we learn to converse with you in a personal and life-transforming way for your glory in our joy in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this text, wonderful text. Anytime you read a text, you always want to read it in the context. Let me read a couple verses before this text. If you have your Bibles opened up, look at the verses preceding this. The text actually starts verse 14, and we'll work to verse 17 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. This is Paul writing to young Timothy. Notice what he says in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh boy, that's what I wanted to hear this morning. And and he's just saying, hey, that's a fact. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're uh, going to be persecuted. You're going to experience some uh, some pain and trauma in your life. You've got to understand that. That's the context. 
And then he goes on and he says, while evil people and imposters will grow, uh, go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So times are going to get worse. We see that happening all around us. Now, here's the context. So he's, so he's going to teach Timothy how to endure. Even when you're taking some hits, you're taking a beating in life, and even when things, bad things, people are getting worse, evil's all around us, how do we endure to the end? Well, this is what he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Now, he's talking about God's word here. You'll see that in just a moment. But notice the word continue, first of all. This is the same word that Jesus used in uh, John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He says, if you abide in my word... That's the word continue. If you continue in my word, then you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will do what? It will set you free. That's pretty, pretty amazing. But you have to continue in his word and then that validates that you truly are a disciple of Jesus. And so that's what he's saying here. So if you're not abiding, if you're not making your home in God's word, being saturated by his word, then you might not be a disciple. But that validates that you're truly a disciple. And he's saying this is how you're going to endure. Is it, but as for you, continue in my word, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Who did Timothy learn God's word from first in his life? Anybody? His mom and his grandma. Yes. And you can find that in the very first chapter of this, of this letter, chapter 1, verse 5. His grandmother's name is Lois. His mother's name is Eunice. And they poured God's word into little Timothy. And so as he was growing up, grandma and mom poured God's word into his life so he knows who he learned it. And then notice verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Check this out. This is sweet. This is good stuff. Which are able to make you wise. Wise for what? For salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation is one of these all-inclusive words. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. It's justification, sanctification, glorification. So it involves all of that. He has set me free from the penalty of sin. He is setting me free from the power of sin. One of these days, he will set me free from the very presence of sin. That's when I go to be with him for all eternity. That's what salvation is. But notice the salvation. He says this salvation comes from you working really hard and uh, God approving of your work. No, that's not actually what it says here, does it? It says through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not based on your works. It's based on the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ. That's amazing. You mean to tell me that I can have salvation past, present, and future from Jesus? Yes, by putting your faith in him. It's not in what you must do, D-O, but what he has done, D-O-N-E, for you. And when you put your faith in that, you have all of the treasures of heaven. Pretty amazing. That's what he's saying. And, and obviously, the sacred writings, the scriptures help us to understand that. And now he goes on to explain that a little bit more. All scripture is breathed out by God. Some translations say inspired of God or God breathed, I love that. Have you ever been so close to somebody, maybe at a concert, and they start talking to you, but you can't hear, so they get really close, and you can feel their breath on your ear? You go, oh, maybe. It's like, 
not so close, but then if they don't get close, you can't hear them. There's almost that kind of idea. Well, you can't speak unless you're, there's, there's air going across your vocal cords, and so you, you, there's breath coming out. And that's that idea that when we study God's word, it's the very breath of God. Same word, uh, same idea here used for when uh, it says in uh, Genesis chapter 2 that God created man out of the dust of the ground and then breathed into him the breath of life. So this is literally the breath of God upon our lives, like he's up close and personal with us. All scripture is God breathed, or is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So he goes through a whole list of things, we'll talk about that a little bit later. That the man of God may be competent, equipped, competent, equipped for every good work. What is he saying? He's saying, man, this is a great way to live. I mean, if you continue in the word of God and you begin to hear God and interact with God, he's gonna teach you on all these things and you're gonna be fully equipped for the best kind of life you could ever live this side of eternity. Now, obviously, the context is not, the, not an easy life. It doesn't mean that you're, you're not gonna have pain, but you're gonna have such sustenance, such security, such strength, such satisfaction internally that you can face anything externally. You see why it's so important when you study something, you understand the context. This is a wonderful life. This is truly a wonderful life in Christ Jesus, even when we are being persecuted. Yes, even when evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived all around us, that our confidence, our hope, our joy, our peace is in Jesus Christ. And so that's what he's saying here as we interact with God through his word. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let me give you eight uh, statements Eight statements as it relates to this idea of conversing with God. Here's the first one on your notes. Uh, Christian prayer is fellowship with the personal triune God who befriends us through speech. That's where we get that idea of God breathes. He's speaking to us. We're interacting with him. Matthew 4, 4. Um, Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What, was he, what did he mean by that? Well, we live in a world today where we tend to be a bit preoccupied with our physical, and I think it's really important that you, you eat right, you get enough sleep, you exercise. Those are all good, but we're almost kind of preoccupied, and he's saying, hey, there's more to life than all of that. There's more to life than your physical well-being. There's a spiritual part of you that you are desperate to hear from God and to know God and to walk with him and to experience him. And you can take care of all the physical you want to, but until you take care of the spiritual, that's when you begin to really enter into the kind of life that God has for you. And that's why he said, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Some of you have probably memorized this next one, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. You feel a little weak in your faith? Kind of wondering, where's God? What's going on in my life? You need to interact with God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. The more you interact with him, the more it begins to build your faith. So the Christian prayer is fellowship with the personal triune God who befriends us through speech. Next point on your notes, when the Bible talks of God's word, it is talking of God's active presence in the world. His active presence in the world. The God of the Bible is a God who by his very nature acts through speaking. Genesis 1, 3 God said, let there be light, and there was light. Boom. So when I walk in this room and I say, let there be light, I've got to walk over to the light switch, yeah. I've got to go do something or have somebody else turn the, turn the switch on for me. But not God. When he speaks it, it's done. It's his active presence. 
I gave a, uh, Psalm 29 is an entire hymn of praise of the power of God's voice. It's a, it's a wonderful t- uh, psalm. We studied it years ago. Verse 4 of that psalm, Psalm 29, says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. So it's kind of given us this kind of metaphor, this picture of God's voice. He can speak things just like that into existence. He can bring life with, with his voice, with what he says. And when it says here that he breaks the cedars, it would be like saying he can level the ponderosa pines that surround Flagstaff, just level them, turn them into toothpicks, just with his voice. Boom. Pretty powerful. And as you kind of work through that psalm, you begin to realize, hey, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. That's what he says in verse 10. What does that mean? Whatever you're facing, however difficult it may be, it's not too much for God's power working in and through you. You can face it. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on. He says, uh, the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So as you begin to read that, you begin to understand God knows, God cares, God rules. That's enough. If I understand that, I can begin to face anything. And then the psalm ends, verse 11. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace or serenity. So two things that you begin to experience as you understand that God's word is his active presence in our lives and in the world is that it begins to give us strength and serenity or peace. And then number three, the best way to have God dynamically active in our lives is through the Bible. In the Bible, we, we actually hear God speaking and also meet God himself when we respond with trust. So when we, when we get, begin to dive into God's word and we begin to trust God speaking to us through this book, we hear him, we meet with him, and, uh, and he begins to instruct us. He leads us. All scriptures God breathed, profitable for teaching. So he's teaching, reproving, correction, training, righteousness, competent, equipped for every good work. As we live out our lives, Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. Kind of sums it up right here. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So as we study God's word, it does what? It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. How many have ever felt like this before, that you came in here on a weekend service and you felt like I was talking right to you, there was nobody else here? Show of hands, how many would say, yeah, I think he's talking to me, yeah. It's kind of interesting, and I'm not, I'm not actually talking to you, but God's talking to you, okay? God's got you, he knows you. I had a guy a number of years ago come up to me, man, he was really ticked off at the end of the service, and I could tell. So I didn't want to meet with him, but I, I did anyway. It's like, somebody take care of this guy right now. Where's security? And um, he came up and he said, I'm so ticked off. What did my wife tell you about what was going on in my life? Because apparently what I had said in the message was bullseye right on that. And I go, she didn't say anything. But God knows everything about you. And he loves you. And that goes to this idea of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God hits you on the bullseye right there, man. He knows you, he loves you, he cares about you, and he's, he's dealing with you. He's working in your life. And I'm glad that you're, you're hearing him. Now you need to respond. I kind of tried to help him to, to know how to respond to that. So you want to hear God and meet God? Open up your Bible. That's how you're going to Meet God and hear God. Want to be led by the Spirit of God? Then devote yourself to the Word of God. 
and uh, saturate your life with the word. You've heard me say this many times before. Bible study is not so much about looking for life lessons as much as it is about an encounter with the only one who can satisfy your soul. It's so easy to turn uh, this Bible into Aesop's fables looking for life lessons and so how we can be good boys and girls and that's called moralism. Moralism, it's not biblical. And there's a tendency, and if, if you understand the Pharisees or moralism, moralism is obey God and he will bless you. That's not grace. Grace is God has blessed you through his son Jesus Christ, therefore you will want to obey him. And certainly he gives us instruction, but you don't get the cart before the horse. You've got to understand that. Do you have any idea how much he loves you? That last song we sang, it's, just, it's a wonderful song. Oh, how he loves me, he loves me. I mean, we should go every day, going throughout the day, singing that song and letting that, the love of God just envelop us because it's out of that, then we obey him. We don't obey him to get his love, we have his love, therefore we obey him. That's the truth of the gospel. It, it revolutionizes our life, it changes us. And... Uh, and so it's really about encountering this God of love, and then as he instructs us, we have this relationship. Yeah, he gives us instruction. All scriptures God breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Yes. But the context, remember that the verses we read is this faith in Christ, this salvation that we have in him. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's overwhelming. It's, it's the gospel. And I, man, I could just, I can't, haven't been able to get over it. It's just as it continues to, to capture my heart and my soul, as I want to live for him and love him, yes, of course you're going to want to obey him. Why wouldn't you? Look what he did for you. Look what he's done for you. Look what he continues to do for you, what he's going to do for you in the future. You're just want to live, you're going to want to live for him. And so you want to encounter him. Let me read to you a quote from, this is uh, Richard Lovelace. Uh, this is from the book that the whole series is about, the, the uh, prayer, Experiencing on Intimacy with God by Timothy Keller. And uh, Richard Lovelace wrote, it is an item of faith that we are children of God. There's plenty of experience in us against it. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, hey, we're children of God, but yet when we look at our lives, oftentimes we don't act like children of God. Oftentimes we behave like fatherless, futureless orphans, but nothing could be further from the truth, okay? And that's the idea. Oftentimes our behavior and the way we live out our lives is nothing close to this idea that we're children of God. There's plenty of experience in us against it. The faith that surmounts this evidence that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from other sources is actually the root of holiness, uh, holiness means wholeness or obedience or we just kind of live a different life. And that comes from warming ourselves at the fire of God's love. And then he ends by saying, we are not saved by the love we exercise but by the love we trust. It's not by the love we exercise but by the love we trust. The writer goes on here and says, uh, this is Timothy Keller, he says, uh, when Lovelace speaks of warming oneself at the fire of God's love, he is describing what it means to, to meditate 
on the righteousness we have in Christ through his sacrificial death. If we don't meditate on that until our hearts are hot with assurance, we will steal love and acceptance from worldly achievements, beauty, and status. So there's this longing inside of all of us that ultimately it can only be met in Christ. And if we don't meet it in him, we're going to look for it in, in achievements, accomplishments, you know, the stuff in this world, somewhere in creation. That's what he's saying. And uh, I like that. That's, that's important. Number four on our notes. Since we learn language only as we are spoken to, we should listen, study, think, reflect, and ponder the scriptures until there is an answering response in our hearts. So, so in the Bible, we actually hear God and meet with God, and since we learn language only as we are spoken to, we should listen, study, think, reflect, and ponder the scriptures until there is an answering response in our hearts. Let me explain what that means. Let me read to you another quote. This is from Eugene Peterson. Anybody familiar with Eugene Peterson? He's the guy that wrote the, uh, the Message Bible. It's a paraphrase. How many are familiar with the Message Bible? It's a great commentary. It's a great way to study. Sometimes you go to it. It's, you use it as a commentary. It's certainly not a translation. It's a paraphrase. You need to know the difference. So, it's, so it'd be like reading a commentary. So Eugene Peterson says this. This is really quite interesting. Reminds us that because we learned language so early in our lives, we have no memory of the process and would therefore imagine that it was we who took the initiative to learn how to speak. However, that is not the case. Language is spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language. Then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer. Mama, papa, bottle, blanket, yes, no. Not one of these words was a first word. All speech is answering speech. We were all spoken to before we spoke. We speak only to the degree we are spoken to. It is therefore essential to the practice of prayer to recognize what Peterson calls the overwhelming previousness of God's speech to our prayers. This theological principle has practical consequences. It means that our prayers should arise out of immersion in the scripture. So I mean, it makes sense. And that's why it tells us in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So when the Bible tells us that, this is beyond mere assent to information. It is a deep and penetrating contemplation of God's word transforming our lives. Now here's what's crazy. You gotta, you gotta get this. This is the culture we live in. Reflection and, and, and meditation is really a lost art in today's contemporary society of hyperactivity and cultural attention deficit disorder. And if I were to go throughout this audience and say, what were you meditating on this last week? By the way, you were meditating on something. It might not have been scripture. And when was the last time you took scripture, maybe something you learned from the previous week, and you took it with you throughout the week, and you begin to meditate on it, and you mold it over in your mind, and you thought about it, and you reflect on it, and I would guarantee you probably about by Tuesday or Wednesday, you'd be going, oh my goodness, that is burning so deep in my heart. It's been a while since God has spoken to me like that. Wow, this is amazing. 
I mean, he would begin to speak to you in ways unlike maybe you've ever experienced before. That's what the Bible teaches. It's meditating on God's word. It's, it's how I prepare for weekend services. And you hear me quote a lot of verses. I've memorized a lot of verses throughout the years, and I meditate on those verses, and I'll take three-by-five cards, or I take my iPhone, I've got verses on there, and I just meditate and reflect. And oh my goodness, it's the way that God primarily speaks to me as I'm meditating on his, on his word. And yet in our, in our day and time, we're too busy. We've got so much noise on the outside of us and so much noise on the inside of us. We would quiet ourselves and take his word and begin to reflect on it and think about it. Uh, that's why it tells us in Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. And then you'll be able to do everything that is written in it and then you're gonna be prosperous and successful. I wanna be prosperous and successful, yes, I do too. He's saying how to do it. By the way, they were heading into the promised land. Doesn't go so well for him though. It's a mess. At the end of this series, we're gonna head into Judges and uh, we're gonna look at that. It's, it's quite a mess because they failed to do that. They failed to really meditate on God's word. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. And you'll be able to do everything that is written in it and you'll be prosperous and successful. There's another uh, verse here that I love, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and it says, blessed is the man. The word blessed means total fulfillment and well-being. Total fulfillment and well-being is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in God's word and he meditates on it. How often? Day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. By the way, trees that are planted by rivers of living water, they don't worry about drought. They don't worry about difficulties. They don't worry about anything. He says, they'll be like trees planted by rivers of living water. Whatever he does will prosper. His leaf will not wither. In due season, he will be fruitful. It gives some phenomenal results of someone who is regularly. Beautiful picture. By the way, Psalm 1 is not so much a prayer. It's a meditation about meditation because he's preparing us for this book of prayers that how we are to take God's word and begin to apply it to our lives and meditate and reflect it on it and allow it to capture our hearts and our minds. And when we begin to do that, it begins to burn deep within our hearts and God begins to speak to us in ways maybe we've never even experienced or heard before. And that's, that's all part of it. Number five on your notes, in prayer we are to use rich and varied, uh, varied range of words and attitudes in response to the character of God who is at once our friend, father, lover, shepherd, and king. So in prayer we are to use a rich and varied range of words and attitudes in response to the character of God who is at once our friend, father, lover, shepherd, and king. Left to our own personality, cultures, inner needs, and psychology, there are many kinds of language that we would uh, never use in prayer. And the book of Psalms really reveals this range this great range in the modes of prayer. There are shouts of, of wonder, strong complaints, reasoned arguments, pronouncements and verdicts, appeals and requests. Some prayers in the Bible are like an intimate conversation with a friend. Others like an appeal to a king. And others are like a wrestling match. And I think we need this... Uh, broad variety of prayers as demonstrated. That's why I love psalms. I read five psalms a day, 
and uh, one proverb a day, along with uh, a little bit in the Old Testament, a little bit in the New Testament, but the five psalms a day really kind of keep me balanced in my prayer life. If you take five psalms a day, you can get through the book of Psalms, biggest book in the Bible, within a month. And, uh, and it just gives you the different variations of kind of ways that we need to be interacting with God. Proverbs is the mind of God, Psalms is the heart of God. And, uh, and so I'll try to, I try to work through the Bible a couple times a year. I don't read it myself, I have somebody read it to me. And no, it's not my wife. I can't get her to read anything, no, I'm kidding. She reads a lot, she does a lot of studying, but I actually have the, uh, I, uh, no, the, uh, what's the name of that version that, what is it? U version, thank you. No, she does, she has her own study through U version, but uh, she usually is with me as I'm, as I'm listening to it, but it's a wonderful way. There are things that stand out to me. I'll go back to those verses, I'll underline them, I'll think about them, I'll reflect on it. Sometimes I want to dive a little bit deeper. I'll pull out a commentary or two or, or research look at certain words, and so it's absolutely wonderful. And so, but what happens through, these, this, uh, through the Psalms, it gives us this variety of kind of prayers. The Psalms contain exuberant bursts of joy that melancholic people would never produce on their own. It kind of pushes you out of your box. How many would say, by show of hands, that you tend to be kind of a melancholic type person? Show of hands, show of hands, okay. There's more of you in here than would have just raised your hands. I know that because I've hung out with you. And you're pretty down in the dumps sometimes. That's all we can do to, to try to get you up on life. And, and, uh, and, and, so, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of your personality. But that's why when you read these, these psalms of exuberant joy, it kind of pushes you beyond that. Say, wait a minute. I'm too down. Where's the joy that I should be experiencing here? And then there are deep, soul-searching, heart-reflection prayers that extroverted people might never discover. How many tend to be more extrovert, a little more extrovert, show of hands? Okay. Uh, so that's interesting, so you tend to be uh, really shallow. And uh, so, I, I, I'm kidding, that was, just, that was a bad joke. So, so the tendency for you is to not do much deep reflection, and yet the Psalms help to drive you much deeper to have to do some soul searching because you're just like skippity doo dah skippity day happy all the time and nobody can be happy all the time come on you're either on drugs or you're out of touch with reality or something's something's wrong because it's okay to to be sad you, you need to be sad from time to time and it's okay that's part of and sometimes the psalms will take us there i don't want to go there that's, but I'm, I'm reading it today, and this becomes a part of my life, and it brings balance. There's such balance to our life. There are complaints and blunt questions to God of which introverted and compliant people would feel uncomfortable expressing. I don't know if you've ever read through the Psalms, and sometimes what the psalmist is saying, and I'm thinking, they sang this as a song? This is crazy. I'm afraid that lightning might even strike me as I'm reading it. I mean, have you ever felt like that before as you're reading through the Psalms? You're kind of wondering, man, this is pretty violent. He's saying, break out their teeth, God. I hate those people. It's like, what? Where is that? I mean, it's just crazy. But what it does is it, it makes you start being more honest. 
Because, you know, when you were saying, I don't, I don't hate them. Yeah, you do. There's probably some hatred down deep inside of you that you've yet to explore. You've been hurt by them. And, of course, if you don't work through that, it's somewhere buried down in there. And the Bible helps us with that. In prayer, we're, we're to use a rich and varied range of words and attitudes in response to the character of God who is at once our friend, father, lover, shepherd, and king. Number six, we are not to decide how to pray based on the experiences and feelings we want. Instead, we should do everything possible to behold our God as he is, and prayer will follow. So it's really about God taking the initiative that he's leading us in this, and we are encountering the living God, and he's transforming our life. Listen to this verse here, Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's a verse I've meditated on. I I don't have it really quite memorized yet. I've been trying to memorize it. It's really a great verse, but it says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. What is he talking about there? If you study this, you realize in the Old Testament, Moses came off the mount, the mountain, and his face was glowing because he had spent time in the presence of God, and it really freaked out the Israelites. So he had to veil his face. But what it's saying here is that we can approach the throne of God with unveiled faces, And he says, so, let me read it again. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's a wonderful verse. This is what he's saying. I mean, it's almost, it's, it's amazing to think about it. And this is what, another one of those things I can't quite get over as a believer. You and I have unlimited access to the throne of God, to know the living God, the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. And we have that unlimited access through Jesus Christ. And that's why I say it, with unveiled faces, we have unlimited access to encounter God, to know the living God. And not only do we have unlimited access, but unashamed boldness before him. And in that, we also have utter transformation that takes place in our lives. And so in beholding God's glory, we become whole. You want to become whole? Another word for holiness is by beholding the beauty and the glory of God. That's what begins to bring the healing to our lives. It's, uh, it's at the heart of mental health, is beholding God, and we become whole. That's what that means, really. So there should be a sense, when we encounter God through his word and through prayer, there should be a sense of, of awe and intimacy. Wow! And, mmm, satisfying. Wow, God, you are great. Mm, You are so good. One of the reasons why we are overcome by the trials of life is because we don't have that sense of wow. So we need to know that, wow, you are so much bigger than any problem I'm facing. What was I sweating? We need to have that sense of wow. And we're overcome by the temptations of life because we don't have that sense of, "Mm, God, you're so satisfying. We're so easily drawn off into temptations because we actually think that we're gonna be happier by pursuing things outside of what he has for us. So we need to regain that. I love what's in Psalm 27.4 where, where David is really running the full spectrum of issues in his life and he's talking about hundreds of thousands of enemies though they surround him or even if on the inside, my own family abandons me and deserts me. He says, if I have this one thing, anybody know what the one thing he's talking about there? He says, if I have this one thing, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the, of the Lord all the days of my life and to do what? 
gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty. When was the last time you just gazed upon the beauty of the Lord? You were captivated by the glory and the beauty of who God is, maybe through his word or through worship. Or there was something, we, we sang a song, you know, I was trying to remember the, where's the book here? Okay, here it is. Okay, they can't see me, the camera. Okay, I'll come back over to the camera. Okay, here it is. Okay, sorry. But, uh, but there's a song that we sang here, and it's always oh, the Hosanna. He says, in your presence, all our fears are washed away, because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. That's rich. That's good. See, that's what we need. I need to see God. Not with my physical eyes or my physical ears. My, I'm talking spiritual eyes, spiritual ears. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's supernatural. I, I can't explain it, although that it's just something. Okay, I'm, okay, I'm back. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, so where, where are we? Okay. Oh, yeah. So Psalm 27.3, one thing I ask this way, I say, they may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Don't do this. My wife and I do this from time to time. It's just, it's dumb to do this. But we'll be up late at night and we'll be watching the Food Network. Do not watch the Food Network late at night <laughs> when you're hungry. And we were watching something, some kind of like Beat Bobby Flay or anything. Anybody ever watch Beat Bobby Flay? And so he was doing some kind of biscuits and gravy. And guess what we were wanting at 10 o'clock at night? I want some biscuits and gravy. Yes. So she's looking online to see where we can find biscuits and gravy. <laughs> what place here in town has got the best biscuits and gravy? And then another night we were watching, and it was like this, uh, that show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and, and Dumpsters, or something like that. <laughs> or Dives, that's what it was. And so, and they were making uh, crepes. I keep wanting to call them crates. It's not crates. My wife corrects me. It's crepes. I've never had a crepe before. And I wanted a crepe. It was 10.30 at night. And I was saying, Nancy, can you make us some crepes? And she's like, yeah, I'd like to make some crepes. Let's make some crepes. You know, so it's, it's a bad thing. What were we doing? We were beholding the beauty of crepes, okay? <laughs> or beholding the beauty of biscuits and gravy. I mean, we were beholding. I mean, and so we all behold. We're all beholding. Some of you that are gun enthusiasts, you know, when you get that, uh, that gun magazine in the mail and you can't hardly wait to get it and you get it and you look at it and you go, oh, I don't have a gun like that. I'm going to buy that. And your wife goes, no, you're not. You've got too many guns. That whole room in there is filled up with guns. Give me that magazine right now. But what are you doing? You're beholding you're beholding. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that kind of beholding as long as as believers we are learning to behold in such a way as it says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that we let our beholding roll all the way on up to God to where we use it as an opportunity for gratitude. And not just gratitude, but adoration. Oh my goodness, God, what a, what a beautiful landscape. Oh my goodness, God, what, what beautiful grandkids you've given Nancy and I. Oh my goodness, God, what... Great biscuits and gravy. <laughs> That's my mom's favorite. She's not here, is she? She was in here in the first service. Biscuits and gravy. That sounds pretty good. How many like to eat breakfast at night for dinner? Oh, that's good. 
What are we doing right now? We're beholding. But let me just talk to you about another kind of beholding. So there's nothing wrong with that beholding as long as it rolls on up. And that's not the only beholding that you do, but it rolls on up to God. And you understand that all, all of what God has given us are gifts from God and pointers to God. But you need to regularly behold the beauty and the glory of God to where through his word and through his study that you just, oh my goodness, it just it takes you out of that whatever, whatever place you're in. And uh, you begin to experience them. Uh, Friday, I, I spent too much time working outside, and Nancy and I needed to go and meet with a couple, and I was exhausted. I sat in the chair for a few moments. I picked up a magazine. It's called Table Talk from, uh, from Ministry. It's, uh, there was an article in here by R.C. Sproul, and it was really fascinating. He was just talking about what is grace, and he went through and talked about unmerited favor, and in this, he says, the essence of theology is grace, the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude, and as I began to work through this, it was almost kind of like a form of meditation because he's giving us really a good Bible study. When I got to the end of the study, I had one of those moments that was almost like God met me in that study, that I realized, wait a minute, grace, oh my goodness, I... I do not even come close to living in the reality of what I have in you, this unmerited favor, the favor of God. And my gratitude should just go through the ceiling regularly, but it doesn't because I'm not living there. And I, I was energized. I was energized in that moment of time as I encountered God through the study of his word. And that's part of that, that beholding. By the way, sometimes I'll do that. We'll turn the TV off and we actually do study the Bible. And I can't hardly stop beholding God and go to bed at night because he so captures my heart as I'm spending time with him and thinking about him. And then number seven, without immersion in God's words, our prayer may not be merely limited and shallow, but also untethered from reality. We may be responding uh, not to the real God, but to what we wish God and life to be like. Um. Eugene Peterson gives us another really a good, uh, good insight on what this is here. Let me read to you another uh, quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and to everything that, that he speaks to us. There is a difference between praying to an unknown God whom we hope to discover in our praying and praying to a known God revealed through Israel and Jesus Christ who speaks our language. In the first, we indulge our appetite for religious fulfillment. In the second, we practice obedient faith. The first is a lot more fun. The second is a lot more important. What is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. It's not just about just expressing ourselves through prayer, but it's we're answering God, that God is dealing with us personally, that we know that we're encountering the living God of this book, and he speaks to us. That's why it says all scriptures God breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking. Ooh, I don't like rebuking. I like the teaching, but not the rebuking. Rebuking, correcting. I don't like correcting either. I don't like anybody to correct me, okay? Wait a minute, it says correcting there. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. I like the teaching and training part. Let's just stick to the teaching and training, but it says correcting and rebuking too, doesn't it? Or reproof is another word for that. So that we are fully equipped for every good work. 
so that we are fully equipped for every good work. The teaching and correcting kind of go hand in hand. That speaks of our beliefs, who I am. It speaks of my character. So he wants to do some character development. Training and rebuking or training and reproof goes together. That has to do with our behavior, what I do. That's our conduct. So he wants to address our character and our conduct. And this is what you need to keep in mind as, as God is dealing with you. A personal relationship with any real person will from time to time, confuse and infuriate you. Just talk to any married couple. Okay? I mean, I know you had idealistic distortion before you entered into that marriage relationship and you thought everything was gonna be happily ever after. And guess what? It didn't happen that way. This person not only infuriates me, but I am totally confused and what the heck was I thinking when I said I do? And that's what everybody eventually gets to that place. And guess what? You didn't marry Stepford husband or Stepford wife. They're not robots. They have opinions and they have ideas and they're contrary to yours. And so there's going to be some conflict and that's okay. That's part of dealing with a real person. And so it is with God. You're dealing with a real person. And so from time to time, he's going to do things that are going to kind of infuriate you, confound you. You're going to go, God, what? What are you doing? This makes no sense. And that's when when you've got to go back to his promises and go back to the written word and go back to the cross and understand, listen, he gave his life for me and he wrote these promises in blood and so I'm, I'm counting on that, I'm looking to that. It doesn't make sense out here but this makes a lot of sense and he captured my heart a long time ago and he's gonna help me navigate through this to a better time in my life. And, and, and oftentimes we have certainly here been accused, I've been accused of, of our church and of me being too intense. And, um, and, and I'm okay with that if it means just taking God seriously. And I'm okay with that too, that if it just means that, that from time to time when you come in here, you feel a sense of conviction, you feel like God's dealing with you. God forbid that you said, that ah, church is too intense. I'm gonna go to a place where they tell me what I wanna hear so I can feel better about myself. Don't do that. Because that's a figment of your imagination. That God is a Stepford God. That God does not exist. But I'll tell you what, you begin to deal with the God of the Bible, he is real, and he begins to deal with us. He deals with me regularly. There's reproof, there's correction. Just this last weekend I was dealing with something, someone said something to me and it really bothered me throughout the, the day and God began to deal with me. He was dealing with me as it relates to my people-pleasing tendencies and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me what they said carries more weight than what I have said once and for all about you? And I go, oh, yeah, it doesn't. I'm so sorry, God, I forgot. Thank you for bringing me back to the cross. Thank you for your dealing with me. That's the correcting. That's the reproof that we all so desperately need. We live in a time and day right here, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So, so I had to be able to come to you and say, what is God talking to you? What is he dealing with you in regards to? What is he wanting to do as it relates to teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you can experience the life that he has for you? You ought to be able to say, hey, this is what God's working in my life. So how do we know that we're encountering God? How do we know this is really God? You gotta come back next week to find out. Okay? Because that's what we're gonna talk about next week. Encountering God next week. But, but you know, through conviction of sin 
and, and then through the conviction of sin, man, you have a love for his grace. You, you just know that it's, it's by his grace and then you so are captivated by his presence more than ever before. Here's the last point, this is where we'll end. A heart for prayer grows out of the realization that the same glory that would have been fatal to Moses on contact now comes into the hearts of those pardoned by Christ. That is amazing. I gave you some verses there. You can study that on your own. Hey, if you're new here at Desert Breeze this morning, and uh, I would love the opportunity to meet you, come up front, and I'd love to give you a coin to our cafe to get a, get a, get a drink on us. If you need prayer for any particular reason, we'd also love to pray with you up here. If you've never confessed Christ as your Savior, this would be a great time to do that through prayer by faith as we pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, we are delighted once again to have encountered you and heard you and you've spoken to us so loud and clear. I pray for those that need to confess you as their Savior that as you would continue to work in their life and deal with them, that they would acknowledge their sin that separates uh, them from you and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all their sins and then confess you as their Savior, that they would enter into this uh, most amazing relationship with you by your grace. God, we are amazed that the same glory that would have been fatal to Moses on contact now comes into the hearts of those pardoned by Christ. You befriend us with speech and your word is your active presence in our lives, and we hear from you and meet with you. May we this next week listen, study, think, reflect, and ponder the scriptures until there is an answering response in our hearts towards you, our friend, our father, our lover, our shepherd, our king. And as we behold your greatness and goodness, may, may we become more and more whole for your glory in our indescribable and indestructible joy in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Love you guys. Have a great week.